What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's just get it started. I'm Chase Winninger, host of the podcast, Lee McClellan, co-host of the podcast. Hope everyone's doing well. Today's guest, Laura Palmer. Hello. Laura, I've been trying to get you on here forever. I'm glad you actually decided to come on with us finally. And it's a perfect time of year because you are the fur bear biologist, right? Yes. What do you do? Tell me about it. I am in a statewide program that covers uh, anything related to fur bears, which include uh, animals that were traditionally trapped for the use of their fur. Uh, so these would be animals like coyotes, bobcats, beaver, river otter, possum, skunk, raccoons, weasel, right skunk, um, mountain lion. Not mountain lions. <laughs> <laughs> they are considered fur bears in other states, uh, like wolves and mountain lions, yeah. badger. Martin, Fisher, those would be some fur bears. Especially if there's a trapping states. season for it. That's kind of what you're talking about. Right. Animals that are basically our trap, but some of them are hunted too. Correct. And I'll tell you, the reason that I've been dying to have you on is uh, coyotes. Now, you know I like coyote hunting, right? Yes. I've talked to you about that many times. Lee knows that. A mm -hmm. lot of people out there know I really enjoy coyote hunting. I really haven't got to do a lot of it this year. I plan on doing a lot of it this weekend. But to me, coyotes are one of the, like, the more interesting animals we have in the state. And I know they weren't originally in the state up until, what, like 76 or 78? They were pretty rare in the mm -hmm. early 70s, and they did expand naturally. Yeah. Um, kind of Kentucky, Virginia, North Carolina, Tennessee area mm -hmm. were kind of the last part of that expansion. And so they have increased, you know, they're abundant all over the state yeah. now. Well, originally, the way I understand it, and actually... I would love for you just to tell me this, but the way I understand it, they were basically in the southwest, in the deserts, right? And then right. they expanded from mm -hmm. there. They were in the central prairies mm -hmm. of, you know, central United States, and there's been a lot of current research that's just now coming out, and so there's different kind of ideas about how that expansion occurred, uh, but the thought is that they expanded uh, first, the first route of expansion was down through south through Mexico and mm -hmm. Central America, and then from there, uh, kind of following the gold rush up into the west and up into Alaska. Um, That's way up there. Mm -hmm. Right, yes. And so now they're currently all over North America, um, much of Canada, mm -hmm. Alaska, Central America, and um, the east and especially the southeast and midwestern areas were the last to kind of fill in because they expanded uh, up through the Great Lakes areas, up into the Northeast, and then kind of down through uh, Texas and over into the Southeast, and then yeah. kind of filled in our area last. And I think that I've seen a graphic before from you that kind of showed them going up around the Great Lakes mm -hmm. and then back yeah. down south towards us. Was mm -hmm. that just because the Mississippi River was there and they couldn't, I mean, that was a big barrier for them or something like that? Well, did, did you tell me that they walked across the frozen Ohio River? during those bad I, winters in the 70s that we had. I When I moved Remember to Kentucky, I had, heard, and, yeah. I had heard those stories yeah. myself. That's what right? I've always heard I did, as well. You know, um, I did a coyote story, an extensive one, and um, I, that sticks in my mind for some reason. Is there any, but is, is that whole water? I'm not sure. I would have to check it out, that's, but that's I, have, I, I have heard those stories myself. That's what I'd always heard was that or they were, coyotes were few and far between, but then I can't remember if it was 76 or 78. 78 was a terrible winter, 77, 70, 78. Mm -hmm. you know, 78. I, people drove uh, Volkswagen Beetles across the Ohio River at Louisville. Mm. 
So that's that, <laughs> I, I hear that that's the year that they kind of came across in numbers. And but I've also heard a stat, and you you could probably tell me this, Laura, that the coyotes at one point in time were only in that one specific area. You said the, kind of the plains, is that right? Right. Mm -hmm. um, and now they are from Central America to the Arctic Circle, and in every state other than Hawaii, as right. far as the U.S. goes. And you could probably yes. find them in every providence or town or county of every state in the continental U.S., right? Yes, and they've definitely increased in cities like Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Actually, in Los Angeles, or California, several cities in California, uh, they've you know historically been abundant in those large cities, but in more recent times, they've expanded to Chicago, New mm -hmm. York, you Denver. You heard a lot about them in Chicago, because mm -hmm. Chicago's yes. kind of the ones you get the news reports out of that, uh, you know, could, somebody's been stalked or attacked by a coyote. Or, right. I think that's been in the news pretty recently, too. And they've been, Chicago has an ongoing long-term study where they've mm -hmm. collared, you know, hundreds of coyotes mm -hmm. in uh, in the city of Chicago, and they've tracked them. It's, they have a really good website. It's very interesting to check out, um, you know, showing home ranges around, you know, Lincoln Park Zoo, Wrigley Field. Do you know what that website is? Mm. I'm going to jot it down. It is... Uh, UrbanCoyoteResearch.com. UrbanCoyoteResearch.com. Yeah, I'd say so. Yes. UrbanCoyoteResearch.com, and that's the data on the collared coyotes in Chicago. Right. You can look at their maps of locations, and you can see that they occur in, you know, urban, you know, cities, neighborhoods. Oh, I get people who um, live in Louisville, um, people who live in St. Matthews, let's just say, for reference, a mile from Drake's, okay? You know where Drake's or Molly Malone's or any of that is in St. Matthews. I get people that live really close to there who will send me a picture of a coyote. They're just walking down the street tonight, like in the headlights of their car, and they're just amazed and shocked that they're there. And they're probably a lot more prevalent than people think. Mm -hmm. Right. We've we've talked to city officials in Louisville uh, for probably about the last five years, and they've had uh, sightings and occurrences and even coyotes with dens in Seneca Park and Cherokee Park and those areas. And then you know, neighborhoods really all over Louisville. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of, we're kind of in Kentucky, I think, where people are getting used to seeing them. Early on in 2005, when I started working, I would get a lot of calls about people seeing coyotes and mm -hmm. just wondering if they needed to be concerned about them. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's tapered off a little bit. I think people are a little bit more used to seeing them. Uh, and now we've, we've put out several educational materials on our website. Uh, for people who live in suburban urban areas so uh, as far as how to how to you know avoid conflicts what do you uh, so what do you tell somebody who calls you and say hey I live in a neighborhood and I've got a, a five-year-old that likes to play in the yard and we saw a coyote yesterday what, what should I do what do you tell right. somebody well like we try to reassure people that they um, definitely shouldn't you know live in fear of coyotes but they certainly should be aware of possible activity around um, you know the Chicago sh study. The Chicago study showed that coyotes were living underneath people's porches and in outbuildings, and even sitting in islands in like an IKEA parking lot, for example, mm. during the day with people shoppers oh, walking yeah. by. And uh, by and large, people never even knew that they were living next to them. Mm -hmm. uh, so in many cases, coyotes don't cause problems, mm. but uh, the, the problems that we do see are related to feeding. Mm -hmm. Uh, either pet food, pet food outside it could be like leaving that. pet food out overnight, um, you know, not keeping garbage secured. Sometimes coyotes will get in people's gardens and eat strawberries or watermelons, things like that. 
there was even a case that Chicago mentioned where somebody was throwing food scraps, pork chop scraps out in their yard and the trapper came back over and over trying to figure out what the source of this coyote hanging around was and they finally trapped the coyote and looked at its stomach contents and it was these pork chops. So well, why was he just, <laughs> I don't want to put these and just right. throwing them in the backyard? He must I don't not know. have a dog. Right. <laughs> That's what my dog does. And some people, you know, purposefully feed coyotes or raccoons or feral cats. Do you cat. think he was helping like the neighborhood dog or? I'm not sure of the backstory, but uh, it's, it's cases where people are feeding, you know, raccoons or wildlife or yeah. feral cats and coyotes are going to be attracted to hmm you know, the, the rodents that are also eating or mm. the cats or raccoons. And so um, just securing any sort of food source like that uh, is very important. And then the other issue we see is, uh, especially in Louisville, is with people, you know, letting their dogs off leash, mm -hmm. um, especially when coyotes may have pups in a den mm -hmm. is when they're most of the time gonna, you know, take off if they see a human, but they might stand their ground a little bit more to protect pups. So they in see a, a, a dog coming off leash and think they need to stand up to that dog or something like that. It's Correct. more interaction with the dog. Right. We even had a report of a person who is regularly taking their dog to a park in Louisville to mm -hmm. play with coyotes. What? And then you I'm know a, my dog's only a beagle, I don't think I'll let him do that. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, it's not a good idea, but, but then as breeding season approached, uh, coyotes will become more territorial and that's when we see most of our conflicts with dogs. And so in that case, the dog was eventually bitten by the coyote's mate. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know. There's jealousy going on. Right. Did the uh, dog live? Yes, it did. It did live, but it had, you know, pretty serious wounds that had to be stitched coyotes up. Are, even if you've got a good sized dog, like, I mean, a coyote's not a big dog, right? I mean, they're fairly small animals. About 35 pounds. Yeah, 35, you know, you know, you might see a big one that hits 40 or 42, but your average right. is probably 25 right. to yep. 35 pounds. And for me, you know, I, I weigh 250, a 25 pound animal. It doesn't scare me all that terribly much, but I'm thinking, would a 50 pound animal scare me a lot? And it would. And then I think about my girlfriend who weighs 120 pounds, and it's basically, you know, relative to me what a 50 pound animal, which is you know, the size of a small German Shepherd or something, a wild animal like that, could be, you know, potentially scary. So I get why people are afraid of them. The coyotes, to me, I'm not necessarily terrified of because I see how they react to me. They smell me from 400 yards away. They insult my hygiene and also at the same time show me that they are, don't want absolutely nothing to do with me. Because all it takes is a, a wild coyote in, in the wild, all it takes is them to get a, a whiff of you and they're heading exact opposite way they want nothing to do with you right exactly yeah. and sometimes people may see them slow down and stop and kind of look at you and most people take that as being aggressive but really they're just checking you out and seeing yeah. what you're doing if in their you're, territory if you're a threat yeah right they're curious um they're curious they'll show more interest if you carry uh, pork chop bones and right throw them out near the coyote they'll right probably, and, and a lot of cool, cases where people have <clears> been bitten is when you know somebody's feeding them locally and then they stop feeding them yeah. and then of course the coyotes have become habituated and mm -hmm. they're looking for that food. So you mentioned the person whose dog was regularly playing with coyotes in the <laughs> park in Louisville and then got bit during mating season by 
probably a jealous or territorial mate. How, what kind of instances of people actually being bit in Kentucky? Do we have any? Or? We have not um, that I've you know heard about or known about. Um, there was one case many years ago, I believe in 2005, 2006, where a hunter was turkey hunting and a coyote came up and bit his hand. But that was bit his hand. Understandably, you know, what was he doing? thinking it was a he had a shotgun oh, in his hand. What turkey. was he doing? Turkey. That's but a we fortunately yeah. haven't had any any instances of people being I've had them. I've put my turkey decoys up right on the edge of a hill, so when those turkeys crested the hill, I'd have a shot and they were in range, and I've been sitting there calling before, and next thing I know, there's a coyote with my foam turkey decoy in his mouth running the other way, and you know, they always drop it. Coyotes are interesting animals, I don't know. Anyway, that's why I like, you know, I mean, the interaction with coyotes is a lot different, because when you're deer hunting, aside from you know, the rut, pre-rut, October, November, when you're actually calling a deer in and, you know, you're grunting or rattling to it, trying to get it to come to your calls, most of the time you're not participating with that animal at all. You're sitting there and they don't know you're there and, you know, you're just watching them walk by or things like that. But with a coyote, when you go out there and you hunt it, you're actively participating to that animal a little bit more than, it's kind of like a turkey hunt, you know, but it's, it's almost like a faster paced turkey hunt because when you're turkey hunting, you're talking to them, they're talking back, mm -hmm. you're trying to coax them in. And that's how it is with coyotes. It's just a little bit different because the wind plays such a big factor. And I'm sure mm -hmm. you know that, Laura. I mean, the, the wind, I mean, a, a turkey's eyesight is good. A coyote's nose is better than a turkey's eyesight is. I mean, it's unbeatable. So it's, it's kind of, that's a whole tactic when it comes to coyote hunting. People always ask, what calls did you use? You know, what kind of rifle do you like? And they ask these questions, but the real key is you can go out there and you can make almost any sound and any, use any rifle. And if your wind's bad, you're not going to have a bit of luck. So right. that's by far the most important thing. I was wanting to ask you why they came here. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, we know where they were. Why did they all? What, yeah. what, what propelled them to expand so much? Yeah. Well, some of it had to do with the reduction of wolves. Mm -hmm. um, and then, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of it's just they're very generalists in the um, kind of habitat and food that they use. You know, they live. So they filled the niche that was formerly the red wolf here in Kentucky, correct? Right. And they, you know, they can live anywhere. They live in the tundra, deserts, mountains. Uh, you know, coastal areas. Do you think there's some more adaptable species in the North in North America? Not that I can think of off the top of my head, but they they definitely are fascinating animals. Just in you know, they can live in cities. Um, as far as their denning areas, they can den, you know, beneath porches. Um, usually, you know, in the wild, they'll use uh, abandoned groundhog burrows, or they may excavate their own. Um, but they've been known to live in, you know. Abandoned brush houses, brush piles, yeah. junk piles, mm -hmm. uh, really anywhere. And then as far as diet, uh, they'll, you know, mostly eat voles and mice and, you know, small rodents. But they also eat rabbits, squirrels. Uh, they'll eat, um, you know, deer, carcasses, um, any kinds of fruits, persimmon, apple, berries. Hmm. Yeah. Um, you ever seen that video of that coyote up in that apple tree? You seen that video? I have not. It's a good video. Somebody <laughs> took, I can't remember who it was, but this coyote is literally 15 feet up in the gr off the ground in an apple tree. I mean, standing on what looks like twigs eating apples out of this tree. So I thought that was interesting. I wouldn't suggest using apple scent to try to lure them in or anything. But Right. Hmm. But yeah, <laughs> they, I mean, they're a dog. My dog doesn't like apples, but I guess a coyote <laughs> would. But, um, 
Well, so when I was getting at a more adaptable species, like, is there, and obviously if you're the fur bear biologist, you don't know every single species in North America, but I've got to think that a species that goes from Central America to the Arctic Circle, the suburbs, the woodlands, the croplands, the desert, the prairies, I mean, they're everywhere. I, I don't right. know if I can think of off the top of my head another animal that can do that. Right, and for that reason, you know, historical uh, attempts at eradicating them have failed, and, and that's basically the reason why, is just because they're so adaptable and and, um, and generalist. Hmm. Hmm. I think pretty much do it all. One of the things that <clears throat> always concerned me about coyotes was their impacts on foxes. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Can you explain a little bit about what they do to fox populations and how they, do they haze them more toward town or less desirable habitat or? Well, they, there has been sh studies conducted that show that coyotes do compete with red foxes, especially, mm. and uh, and they will kill red foxes. Um, but they both seem to thrive in urban areas, uh, just mm. because there's you know plenty of food available. Uh, coyotes do help control goose populations uh, by eating goose eggs. Say goose. Goose eggs, Can we yes. Get some more coyotes up here <laughs> in the game farm, please. They'll eat, you know, deer fawns and rats and rodents and things in cities, and so there's no shortage of those things. Mm -hmm. uh, so foxes and coyotes do very well in urban areas. Um, I see a lot more coyotes than I do fox. I see I a know. lot more. Right. But are fox numbers holding steady? Are they declining from the coyote? There has been some decline in gray fox populations and throughout their range. Uh, you know, more so in some states than others. Uh, and there's, you know, different, nobody's really pinpointed the exact reason why, but coyotes could be uh, a reason. Of course, gray foxes can climb trees to escape predators, uh, but there has been, you know, there's been research studies with collared gray fox where coyotes have taken several of them, so hmm. it's a possibility. So when they compete with a fox, so a coyote and a fox, the same food sources for the most part. I mean, I'm sure there's a little bit I of I love foxes. There. I don't see enough fox, you know. I, I, I very rarely see them. I know they're there, and I think, and Lord correct me, I think foxes are more nocturnal than coyotes. And I, obviously coyotes are about as nocturnal as it gets, but I think they're more willing to move in the daytime than a fox is. They are, especially during pup rearing season. They may hunt, you know, around the clock. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, just from our some of our trail camera survey data, you know, we've seen them really all hours of the day and night. Um, I can't really speak specifics on red foxes. I haven't looked at that data. Mm -hmm. Uh, but for sure, coyotes can be active day and night. So you've talked about um, some collared coyotes and some trail cam surveys. What, what's some research that's being done right now by the department? Or what are some, do you have any projects going on right now related to coyotes? No. I know in the past year you've had uh, the DNA, the genetic surveys that I've participated in and other people, right. a lot of people. And that, yes. that was data that went into a study by Princeton, if I'm right? That's right. Okay. They were looking at uh, admixture of red wolf, yeah. uh, gray wolf, mm. and uh, dog Can we summarize genetics. that real quick? So what we basically... We can a, a little bit. We're still ra waiting for some results. Okay, they've so used, so they've used should... some of Kentucky's data and uh, basically found uh, no admixture with red wolf. Mm -hmm. Uh, genes in Kentucky's coyotes, although um, hmm. there has been some research in some other southeastern states that have shown that. 
um, and they didn't find strong evidence for um, recent dog admixture as well. However, they are doing a kind of a round two, uh, another study using more of Kentucky samples, so we'll kind of have to wait and see what so, they. So when people see colorful coyotes, let's just say one, because I mean, I honestly, you know, I see a huge variety of colors in coyotes here in Kentucky. I'll see them mm -hmm. from jet black to, you know, white and black, a bunch of red. I'll get a, a one that's primarily gray or blonde. It seems like colors are all over the spectrum, right? I mm -hmm. don't see blue, or I don't see orange or anything like that, but all, pretty much all your normal colors I see. And I've heard that we have more color variations than say out west where coyotes originally that is correct. have always been. Yes. And where they're larger here also, right? They're kind of intermediate between western coyotes and northeastern coyotes, which have more um, genetic admixture with gray wolves. Okay. Um, so why do we get that color variation? Right now, it just looks like it's just that coyotes are highly variable uh -huh. in, in color. You know, we have collected some from that were submitted to the mm -hmm. study, uh, and the, all those samples kind of came back as you know, our typical normal coyote, mm -hmm. not showing really any, you know, genetic sharing with, with wolves or dogs. or dogs or anything. So um, so they seem to be just high, highly variable in, in their color patterns. So coy dog is a term you hear a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, they say, these coyote hunting forums on Facebook or people in groups on Facebook, a lot of people will say, look at this coy dog, it's, on. it's just a, a black coyote or something. And there's mm -hmm. a lot of debate about coy dogs. Do mm -hmm. they Are they prevalent? Do they exist? I mean, how, how prevalent are they? I mean, what's your take on that? So the genetic studies that have recently come out in 2018, mm -hmm. and, and there's still some ongoing that will come out in the next year or two, um, have suggested that there, there has been some coyotes with some some dog ancestry um, or dog mixture in their ancestry, but it's um, thought to be, you know, more historical mm -hmm. and not mm. the the recent the way they're kind of looking at the genes and um, so nuclear like DNA is is kind of a representation of more recent times, and yeah. it's not showing a lot of. So you're seeing like dog the one thirty second or one sixty fourth of. But like something like that. It's not like a 50-50 or a 25 It looks like it's rare and yeah. it's not it's happening as much as yeah. maybe we thought or, yeah. um, but again, you know, they're, they're still doing those studies. So we it's may like you said, I mean, it's, kind of have to wait in here. Like you said, if coyotes have a, a big, you know, variation and, and what their color can be like in here, I mean, what their size can be like, you're talking 20 pounds to 45 pounds potentially. And, you know, people see them and they think, well, that's not the coyote I saw last week. That's a that's something different. That's a, right. that's a koi dog, but truth is, it's probably just a. I mean, like you said, a wide variety. I've mm -hmm. only seen out of all the coyotes I've seen, I've only seen one that I thought there's something different about that coyote, and it was only because its hair was about six inches long. Mm -hmm. I mean, even on its ears and its face and everywhere, it had hair unlike any other coyote. It wasn't just a color variation; it was a, a hair type variation, and um, so that one kind of struck me as maybe being a little bit different, but I have no evidence to back that up. Right, and we we have been collecting some of those atypical coyotes, mm -hmm. and so if anyone hears of any of those, feel free to contact us and we can get a sample, and we're yeah. gonna submit some more of those to How this do they study. contact you? Uh, my email is laura, L-A-U-R-A dot palmer, P-A-L-M-E-R, at ky.gov. I, uh, 
And if somebody wanted to, it might just be easier, Laura Palmer at ky.gov, they could shoot Kentucky Field a message on Facebook or Instagram, too, and we mm -hmm. would forward your info to them. So that right. might just be good. Remember, Kentucky Field Park guys, just shoot us a message on social media, and we'll get you pointed in the right direction. Right. And, and also, if I can plug, we are collecting coyote carcasses, either skinned or unskinned, from hunters and trappers. Uh, we are um, passing those on to Murray State University, and they're conducting a study on parasites and heartworm load mm -hmm. in coyotes in Kentucky. How many uh, do you want? To, we're trying to get kind of a distribution across the state, so our, our target's about 100 or so. Have you worked um, with anybody in particular on this so far? We're collecting some within the department ourselves. Okay, um, I've got something I'll talk to you about here okay. after this podcast is over. Um, might be able to help out. Um, the question I had, okay, earlier you talked feral cats. It, when it was when you were talking about people throwing their scraps out and feral cats and, and raccoons and possums and all that stuff. Somewhere along the lines, years ago, I heard that one of those urban coyote studies, feral cats popped up as a big part of their diet. What, what, what's, what's the deal with that? There's a few studies that I'm, I'm aware of. There was one in California, and just off the top of my head, I want to say it was maybe about 15% of mm -hmm. their diet that they found. Uh, the... The Chicago study actually showed a very low percentage, mm -hmm. and, I'm, and this was probably about eight years ago. I'm not sure if they have any more recent studies, mm -hmm. but it was, um, you know, less than five percent. So, somewhere I was hearing like 42 or something. And it like could that. be, it could be pretty variable yeah. depending on the region. Availability. I'm not a huge fan yeah. of feral cats personally. Me like, they say they're the number one, like. Uh, you know, most harmful species out there to native wildlife. Mm -hmm. that's Especially our, birds. That's right. They do have an impact on birds for sure. Yeah, songbird. I mean, because what do you do? Cat is kind of the apex predator. You know, mm -hmm. coyote's a, a great predator. And like we said, they're probably the most adaptable species in North America, but a cat. Like, have you ever seen trail cam videos where um, uh, a bobcat's on a deer carcass? And then here come two coyotes trying to get to that carcass, and that one little bobcat will keep both those coyotes at bay, and they'll just be kind of back there whimpering, waiting for the bobcat to finish <laughs> its meal. Like, bobcats are crazy. And you deal with bobcats as well. Yes, we've done a little bit of research on uh, bobcats in mm -hmm. the past five or so years. And so we're, we're looking at that data now and summarizing it with the University of Minnesota. So some of the, have you ever held a bobcat in your hands, Lee? Not a live one, no. but obviously. Have you ever, you've seen the ones that we, I mean, we have two bobcats here at the Slato Center. That but, one peed on my sister-in-law. Well, that's a story. <laughs> <laughs> he would do that. The original blue would back oh, up. Oh, he'd back up, yeah. He would, I've seen him do that. The, the, it peed on me. And I'm, sorry, I was laughing so hard. <laughs> I couldn't. <laughs> Bobcats are something else, man. Like if you ever grab, if you ever hold a bobcat, and I'm sure Laura's I've seen them in a while, but I've never held one. You've probably held plenty. I mean, so the cats have retractable claws, of course, right? Mm -hmm. And you can be holding their 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 paw in your hand, and you don't really see anything. Then you squeeze it, and these, I mean, these claws come out. They look like they could just rip something to shreds. Mm -hmm. They're really impressive. And then they're, is it still called a canine tooth? They're, they're canines. Yes. Mm -hmm. They're they're not like a coyote has a, a dog looking canine tooth. It's very typical. Like everybody's seen it. Everybody's opened a lab's mouth and looked. Mm -hmm. But a cat's is almost like a dagger. Mm -hmm. It's much very different. Sharp. It's it's sharper. It's pointier, and it's more of a round shape from the top to the bottom. It's like a cone, and it just seems like that thing is made to do some serious damage. And I mean, cats are I, you don't see very many, especially in this part of the state. Like you probably know where their distribution is a lot more, right? They are statewide. They're yeah. probably least in abundance from, you know, kind of Frankfurt north. Mm -hmm. uh, but 
you know, we have had many reports of sightings and more trail cam photos, and mm -hmm. so they're definitely increasing in this area I as well. I think that I look, out of curiosity pretty much every year, I'll look at, because I mean, they are a telecheck species, so on the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife website, there is telecheck data for them that right. anybody can look up. Mm -hmm. And so I've looked up before uh, the county harvest, and it breaks down per county, how many were hunted, how many were trapped, male-female ratios, and total numbers of all of them. And there, I think bobcats are telechecked in pretty much every county. Yes. Every year. Yes. Yeah, that's Jefferson County, Shelby County, Fayette County. Mm -hmm. uh, but when I, I've only looked at places where I could potentially go hunting at. So some places in eastern Kentucky, the bluegrass region, some places in western Kentucky. And it seems like you're seeing maybe two or four or five cats in some counties in the bluegrass region. Right. But then you go to western Kentucky or eastern Kentucky and you're seeing 40 or 50. Right. So it just seems like we're in a dead spot here. I'd say some people elsewhere in the state see a lot more. Right. But it's not so And privileged. it's a lot, you know, more urban areas. And yeah. Lexington, Louisville, and Frankfurt. So, yeah. But they are here. We had one from our uh, Campbellsville study site uh, show up just in Millville, close to Frankfurt. Mm. So that would be, you know, at least 70 miles that traveled. It traveled so, 70 miles? Mm -hmm. So how does that work? Tell me about that. Well, we you had it picked up on a trail camera. Okay. Uh, so we could tell it was one of our study animals. Uh, how do you know it's a, one of your study animals? Just a pattern or was there something else? Just a radio tracking collar okay, yeah, and mm. ear tags. Hmm. Hmm. So do you have to go out and capture those animals and tag them and then release them? Yes. How, do you, what, how often do you do that? We, we did that um, for three seasons um, back in 2012, 13, 14. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we worked with local trappers mm -hmm. and gave them a reward in exchange for the money they would have received for the pelt. So if they caught a lot of the way I'm not a big trapper. I've done it. Uh, especially coyotes, because I've had farmers with coyote problems who've asked me to come out and help out, and it's much more efficient than hunting them. Maybe we'll talk about that in a minute, because I'm telling you, you can be you can be so much more efficient running traps than hunting, but it's a lot more work too. Um, some people who trap coyote or bobcats tell me that they're much easier to trap if you can find them, because they'll just use a live trap, just like you'd catch a raccoon or something else in. You put something in there that gets their attention and makes them curious, and they'll just walk right in. Or you can take a turkey feather and, you know, dangle it below a, a tree branch, right. you know, where they can almost, you know, get over there and sniff it right off the ground. And you put a foothold trap under it, and they'll just walk right over there and put their foot in it. Right. And it seems like curiosity, you know, as, as the old saying goes, is mm -hmm. what catches the cat in this case. So is that what they're doing? So they're live trapping them in a cage or in a foothold, and then right. We use mostly footholds on our study, and um, we. The trappers would use a variety of methods. Again, it's you know to track that curiosity, whether it be a, a some type of lure in the dirt hole set, uh, and that's just a scent-based mm -hmm. gland lure or urine or something like yeah. that. And then often hang a flag in a tree, such as a feather or even some shiny tinsel. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a variety of things you Probably can just use. Take a Christmas a CD <laughs> or <laughs> put it in there. right. Yeah. Some trappers have used live bird calls, um, or even in the cage traps, a little, um, just a little cardinal, stuffed cardinal from Michaels or something like that. Mm. Uh, so it, it's that's what's fascinating about trapping is there's so many ways to, yeah. to go about it. It seems like trapping the, the cats is much different than a coyote. I got a feeling if you hung a CD from a string, no coyote is going to go over there and stick his foot in a trap for you. Maybe they would. I don't it depends know. on where you trap. If yeah. if they haven't been trapped in the area, they'll they'll respond to bobcat traps. 
you know, just surprisingly, just as easy as How a, does you the know, shiny object, what does that do? Just curious. They kind of see that from across a field. And, and they curious? And they come to check it out, especially if it's, you know, something shiny or a feather. Uh, and then that, in combination with, if you use a kind of smelly skunk lure mm -hmm. or something yeah. like that, they'll come check, check it out. And then, you know, the challenge is to get them to step in that tiny circle mm -hmm. <laughs> of the trap. Yeah. Um, I never have done it with footholds. It seems, I have a buddy who's out there trapping hard, I mean, all the time. You, do you know Conrad Lanham? He, yes. Yeah, do. Conrad, he's, he does a rotation on several farms that I, I deer hunt or coyote hunt or do other things, and he's actually trapping currently a farm that I used to live on and trapped, and I saw he's, he's having, I think he's up to like 30-something coyotes already this year. But he, I mean, he's very good. He's a good trapper. And he, uh, you know, for me, when I, when I did it for a year, it was about just going out there and trying to figure something out, just trying to learn from the get-go. So I ran snares on fence crossings, which mm -hmm. is, in my opinion, not that difficult to do. I mean, you see where the coyotes are going through the fence, you put a snare there, and you hope that you don't screw it up somehow. Uh, but he's running footholds, and that's, I mean, literally out in the middle of a field, I mean, just trying to get a coyote to put his foot in one spot. You know, you got a, a two inch by two inch pan or something. You're trying to, and that's much more difficult, it seems like, and much more challenging. And uh, it's cool though. Mm -hmm. Right, that's kind of what got me my interest into this, you know, the field of fur bears and just taking those trapping classes in college. And so you took, tell me how you got into it. I'd love to know. I, well, I started as a business major mm -hmm. and quickly found out that wasn't my, my thing. And so I had found out about the wildlife program at University of Georgia and started that program and then through some of their summer courses and where you would, we would learn how to miss net birds mm -hmm. and um, trapping was one of the courses. And does Sangster know you're a bulldog? Yes, he does. Okay, I'd like to know I also went to University of Kentucky. You got it. But that just was always very fascinating me as, to me is, mm -hmm. you know, setting footholds and, mm -hmm. you know, just watching. So it. And it still is it. just as far as going to Trap meets uh, the trapping organizations mm -hmm. in Kentucky. You know, I trappers of Kentucky and fur takers. Mm -hmm. As you know, Some they have spring are and quite uh, <clears throat> fragrant. Oh yes, if you had a chance to experience <laughs> you those. Made, we were doing that guy. He's like, here, let's smell this. I'm like, oh god. <laughs> <laughs> so you took. Uh, so you actually did some trapping in college at UGA. Right. We kind of went along with some bobcat researchers yeah. and kind of learned from them, and. Um, then also went to Missouri and helped with their otter research study, which was a canoe line through the uh, the Ozark, huh. some of the rivers, and which so that rivers? was Gasconade. And current? the others don't escape me right now, but Eleven Point Current. No, was it um, Jack's Fork? Osage Fork. Yeah, maybe? Osage. Yeah. Yep, that Osage. was one of them. And so that was it. Was just fascinating to me to kind of figure out where animals were traveling and. Yeah. Um, being able to set traps and, and catch them. Yeah, it is different. Um, I can't really speak to it because I'm not an experienced trapper, but there is something different about the interaction with wildlife and with getting to know animals, like the, mm -hmm. how they move, how the, what their um, instincts are. Kind of, you know, you just have to figure them out in a different way to to be a good trapper. It seems like. Right, and it's a great way to for kids to get involved in the yeah. outdoors and learning how to track animals and look for sign and. Yeah. You know, so you can set traps. It's and more you, about the sign right. when, you're, when you're trapping. Right. And, and you don't have to be quiet and sit there yeah. like you are deer hunting or turkey hunting. You know, it's it's great for kids because they really enjoy it. <clears throat> you were talking about classes you took. You also teach classes now, correct? We do. We try and have a fur school for our staff every year or two. 
and, and that's just for new, whether it be conservation officers who aren't familiar with trapping or biologists. Uh, we have a lot of our education staff come as well and they kind of just get a, it's a four day long course. Uh, we actually go out and run a trap line for a couple nights and, and catch critters. And so it's uh, kind of a crash course and to introduce them to trapping and why people trap, whether it be for research, um, you know, that's how our river otters were re reintroduced is by uh, foothold trapping. That's how they were reintroduced? Mm -hmm. Yes. Me. I don't understand. In, uh, well, it, there's about 21 states in the 90s mm -hmm. who um, reintroduced otters. Is that a good idea? The, those were trapped in Louisiana, <laughs> Louisiana. and moved. Yeah. Didn't George Wright help do some of those? I'm Going not down sure, maybe. I think they put them in the pirogue and I you know, see they were that out probably in right. Cajun country and then that they got them. Did we trade or something? We traded stuff for them? I believe we traded Missouri turkeys. Yeah, we traded Missouri turkeys right, to get river otters from Louisiana. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that makes no sense. I mean, I mean, that there's convoluted trades a lot of people don't realize between states. For yeah. like, sometimes we'll have extra hybrid type bass and we'll trade those for, you know, so quail or something. The river otters. We restocked river otters using footholds. So they mm -hmm. foothold trapped them in Louisiana and then we brought them here and we released them. Yes. And when was that? In the 90s. In the, in the 90s. 90s. Uh, Mark Kramer the, the, was very involved in that. I see them quite a bit in uh, Bullskin, Shelby County. The well, there's a lot out in the the, uh, the western part of Franklin and the eastern part of Shelby where yeah. Rick lives. He's had quite yeah. a few encounters with That's pretty cool to see. I, I like hunting uh, the creeks a lot, deer hunting the creeks. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of times I'll set up on the ground, not even in a deer stand, just my back against the tree right there looking at the creek. And, and those river otters, otters will come through. And I've actually got some great footage of them coming through and they'll pop up and they'll have a fish and they'll just be smacking it down and then they'll go back down. And, and those things can embarrass a, a fisherman. Yeah. They can put a hurt on the fish. Yeah, no, they can. Yeah. And they can be a little bit of an issue when they get in a farm pond, correct? Yeah. For they can. Uh, I get calls sometimes, you know, people see one and mm -hmm. then they'll never see it again. And other other times they cause more of a problem and they'll stick around and in those cases landowners can take them. Well there is a season for them, right? There is a trapping like season. No, well there, is there a hunting season for them also? It, it's the same as trapping season, okay. mid-November through the end of February. So, so what are the regs on? Because I've heard a lot of people say, you know, we got problems with river otters in our pond, so if they wanted to they could trap them during trapping season or hunt them during that season. What? How do people hunt river otters? What's the main method? I think a lot of hunted otters are, are taken incidentally by you know, yeah. when people are hunting deer or other. Mm -hmm. um, but farm pond owners can hunt them or trap them. Trapping is going to be more efficient. Uh, I've seen if them play and have their problems. little slides and stuff. They're cool, but they can mm -hmm. they can impact a pond. But, you know. That's so. Like I said, they put me to shame with their yeah. fishing skills. So. But they're, they're cool animal stuff, too. We need to cover more of this stuff on Kentucky Field mm -hmm. TV. I mean, it's interesting, you know. One thing Maybe I not daughter hunting, but, you know, I, I, I like the topics. And we got something coming up this weekend, too, that's related. So one of my buddies, and you all watched the segment, not completely finished, mm -hmm. but the coyote hunting segment coming up this weekend on Kentucky Field. It's a good one. With one, it was one of my buddies. I mean, they called in three coyotes, I think, a lot of interaction. It was kind of cool to see how this time of year, how you can bring them back, you know, because mm -hmm. I think he brings that one in three times. Um, mm -hmm. And it was because of mating season. and. The mate was there, the mate got dropped, and then you know you do those certain vocals. You can bring the 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 partner back in, but 
So that's one of my buddies. His name's Brandon, and he hunts close to here. Another one of my buddies who is, I consider to be a pretty good coyote hunter, Gage is his name. He, uh, or Gabe, I'm sorry. He hunts different. Like when I look, go to set up for a coyote hunt, I'm looking at big woods, you know. Oh, there's got to be a coyote in that 40-acre block of woods over there. This guy's looking at, like, ditches. And, like, I mean, just the smallest little things. Like you'll be driving down the road with uh, Gabe and, He'll look over and there'll be like a 50 yard long drainage ditch with some grown up grass and a little brush pile in the middle. He's like, oh, if I could just call that, there, there's a coyote in there. Mm -hmm. He has as much success as anybody. He finds these coyotes hiding in the smallest little places. And if you can focus on a very small place, you're much more likely to get, if there is something there, it to pop out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Do you ever mm -hmm. see coyotes just, like you were talking mm -hmm. about in the parks, you're talking about coyotes denning and, um, Cherokee Park in Louisville. Right. My guess is they're not they're held up in a huge block of woods. They probably have a little brush pile or a little. Right. Yeah. You can look at aerial photos of you know some of the reports that we've gotten from Louisville mm -hmm. and just see the small patches of woods that surround the golf courses and that's where they're what kind of resting in. What kind of um, den do they typically have? Usually earlier you said you know a brush pile or a or an old a groundhog den that they might have you know dug out. I'm assuming they have to expand it a little bit. But right. What's what's your most typical? Is there anything with hollowed logs or areas underneath logs? Or? Probably ground burrows, ground I would think, burrows. would be the most common. But like you said, brush piles or hmm. junk piles. I don't think I've ever seen barn, a under shade. Right. Mm -hmm. I've never seen a coyote come out <clears throat> of or go into a den that I know of. Maybe once. But it was also a coyote that had been shot, and I thought it might just be running into whatever it could get into. Right. But I don't know. What else do we got, Lee? Um, I, have, I have a couple questions from Instagram I was going to ask. But. One thing I wanted to ask is when we were talking about the coyote piece, well, you know, it's been a long time ago, one of the things ever we were talking about, the red wolves, you know, the loss of them east of the Mississippi River kind of opened the niche for the coyote to fill. And they were trying to restore red wolves North Carolina to some of the National Wildlife Refuges right. that are on the coast. Alligator River. Alligator mm -hmm. River was one. That's the one that started. I was like, alligator sticks in my head, but is that right? Cause, and um, whatever happened to that? Did I, It started going south because were they hybridizing with coyotes? They were. They were having issues with uh, red wolves hybridizing with coyotes. Um, and I'm honestly not sure in the last probably three years what has been happening with that. Um, I know they were also having issues with um, hunter, you know, hunters or farmers shooting some of the red wolves. Uh, so I would have to check into that yeah. status. I'm just, yeah. I haven't looked it up in a few years. I was just right. wondering. Red wolves are uh, native to Kentucky as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. Or do you have any plans, Lord, to reintroduce? I believe they talked about that maybe 20 or so years ago, and it was. Uh, <laughs> Decided there were not bounties to. on wolves back in the day. That's what led them to, that was a right. big factor in them crashing, correct? Yeah. I would personally not want them here. Um, that's just my take. I've, this is up to the experts, not me. But <laughs> like I was saying earlier, I could see how if I was a, you know, a 120-pound individual coyote might frighten me. And, well, that's just, mm -hmm. I mean, a wolf weighs, what, 90, 100? Red wolves are a little bit larger than coyotes. So we're talking, yeah. what, 60 pounds or something like that? I would have to look it up, honestly, okay. but probably now, 80. reintroduced gray like wolves to 80 Yellowstone. 80's big. 80's big. Right. And that's now big that's, thing. did you see that? that With the elk? The people, would, you know, they reintroduced gray wolves to Yellowstone, mm -hmm. and, you know, there was controversy. Now, people come from all over the world 
to view right. them with spotting scopes and just line it up during breeding season. They're out There's there a lot freezing. of controversy surrounding those wolves, though. Yeah, there is. The way right. I understand it, because I see articles all the time. On, well, the the, the people surrounding there weren't too happy. Well, you'll see the stuff one side or the other. Look what the wolves did to the elk. Uh, look what this hunter did to a wolf in the neighboring state. You know, I mean, it's yeah. like you see it back and right. forth. They've had those issues in the Great Lakes region as far as delisting them, then listing them and delisting mm -hmm. them. But they have... Their population numbers have increased substantially. And that island in the UP, Kramer did some gray wolf uh, studies out mm -hmm. in the field for a summer. And it's right. part of his master's degree stuff. So, What's the most interesting species you deal with, Laura? Honestly, I do find coyotes to be fascinating. I think they get a really bad rap a lot mm -hmm. of times, but mm -hmm. they are interesting animals. Uh, and then... Oh, I don't know. I like them all, but bobcats, yeah. I think, are also mm -hmm. interesting as well. You know what? I want to talk to you about this. This is controversial coyote talk. There's been a lot, somebody, I cannot remember his name. He's a, so I cannot remember the guy's name, and I wish I had it. You'll know who I'm talking about. He wrote a book not too awfully long ago about coyotes and about how coyote hunting or coyote trapping actually increased the number of coyotes in the area. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? There's There's been some research studies, um, and it's... All of this research is very site-specific. Well, this guy went on Joe Rogan's podcast and got a bunch of attention for things he said on Joe Rogan's podcast. And I listened to what he said. And you, the general idea is that when you take a coyote out of the landscape, coyotes, you know, will there will be a, a vacancy there. Or, right. And then coyotes will produce more or larger litters to fill that vacancy, and therefore you have more coyotes on the landscape, right? Right. So... And I'm proposing this as a question. The way I see it, a landscape it has a limiting factor that mm -hmm. is either food, water, shelter. You know, some type of habitat or food-related limiting factor to how many of a certain species it can hold, right? Right. And that doesn't change. When you remove a coyote from the landscape, that landscape can no longer support more coyotes than it could originally. So if you don't hunt or trap them, you allow them to saturate the landscape, right? If you do hunt or trap them, I don't necessarily think you're going to long-term reduce the numbers of them, but you're not over. I mean, there's a limiting point, you know? Does that make right. sense at all? Yes. What's your and take on that? There's been a couple of studies, um, and one noted that a, a coyote population can recover within one year after a 60% reduction in numbers. Mm -hmm. So they, they basically surrounding coyotes just fill in that area yeah. again. And then um, another study in South Carolina showed that they reduced coyotes on an area by 78, 78% in each of three years, mm -hmm. and the numbers rebounded within nine months. So it takes a significant amount of trapping continuously mm -hmm. every year in order to make a yeah. dent or maintain that dent and so yeah and that's that's part of why my take is that you really can't impact coyote population numbers mm -hmm. with hunting or trapping and i know that kind of goes like well then why do it but i do think that you can be successful in eliminating certain coyotes mm -hmm. you know because typically the landowners that have contacted me aren't having a problem with all the coyotes they're having a problem right. with a coyote right there's a coyote that's getting in the barn. There's a coyote that's harassing mm -hmm. cattle or eating afterbirth or doing, mm -hmm. and it's that coyote who's become excessively bold mm -hmm. or you know brazen around people or cattle or pets or whatever. That right. coyote's more than likely going to be the one that comes running into that call when you're out there. 
Right, and that's what we recommend yeah. is instead of trying to, re because I get that call, mm. you know, pretty frequently yeah. is, you know, why can't we just trap all these coyotes and remove them? Mm -hmm. And the answer is because within a matter of months, neighboring coyotes are just gonna fill in those spaces. Yeah. And and so if there is a coyote that's being overly aggressive yeah. or, or causing livestock, damage, then that specific coyote should be targeted and yeah. removed. Well, that's what you can um, do. And because right. people, I mean, that's the, the argument is that you can't really impact coyote numbers by hunting or trapping. And my thing is that I, I, I kind of, in a way, agree with that. I think in the short term, you obviously can, right? And yes. just because I went out and took three coyotes off a farm doesn't mean that next year there's not going to be the exact same number of coyotes on that farm. But one of those coyotes was probably the one that killed the three house cats. Right. You know what I mean? And there's yeah. a good chance that that coyote is now eliminated, so that problem's probably gone. Right. So. And keep in mind, if you do have coyotes around and you aren't having any problems, some people just still want to remove all the coyotes just because they're there. Mm -hmm. But if, you know, you do risk if you're not having any problems and you remove coyotes that new ones might move in that may cause problems. Yeah, that's true. So something to think about. Um, and then as far as... Uh, effects on deer population. Uh, some have suggested instead of, you know, trying to remove all the coyotes, which can be impractical, instead um, reduce adult female harvest uh, and then create more understory vegetation for, you know, for deer fawn mm -hmm. um, cover. Yeah. Well, the mm -hmm. yeah. When you say adult female harvest, you're talking about deer. Reduce adult female deer. Yes. Harvest. Harvest. Yeah, we've talked to, um, in the past, Gabe and now Kyle Sams, of course, and we know that female population numbers have a much larger effect on the overall population. That goes for every animal, if I had to guess. Right. Because obviously a female coyote produces pups at, all right, how many litters do they have a year? One? Coyotes, yes. Yeah, one, yes. one a year, and mm -hmm. probably, what is it, six or so? About four to seven, four so to seven. right, averaging yeah. about five or six. And, of, and one male can go out there and reproduce with 20 females given the... Well, they do, they do mate for life. Oh, really? They for do. life? Yes. For and so life. they'll maintain... This is a completely new information to me, Lee. I just learned I something. I didn't know that either. <laughs> right. And so they will maintain their do. territories for life. So that's another reason why if you're not having problems with coyotes in your area, it may be best just to leave them there. Main, so they mate for life and maintain territories for life. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming if something happens to one of those mates that they'll just repair. Like they may repair, they may become transient for a while and kind of travel around. I had no idea. That is absolutely But they do. Right. How long and do coyotes live? Is it like a dog? Depends. Again, you know, most of their mortality is going to be related to hunting or trapping pressure. So um, they may, it's hard to say. Probably max would be about around 12, 10, 12, something like that. And our, um, we haven't done age studies of coyotes in Kentucky, but for bobcat, um, the oldest bobcat we recorded has been 16 years old, but by and large averages about three to four years old. Three so, to four, wow. But then we'll have some that are eight, nine, 10. So it kind of depends on the, well, the life, hunting pressure in that area. Life stuff in the wild. Like you look right. at any domestic animal versus what they'll live to in the wild, I mean, it's like three times as long on right. for a lot of species. Um, and pup survival can be a lot yeah. less. That could be 50% or, yeah. you know, just kind of depending on food availability. Yeah. Um, and like you said, if a lot of coyotes are removed from an area, that 
opens up more food resources and so that increases pup survival. Yeah. Sometimes females can end up breeding earlier, um, having larger litters, so. I'm assuming all it takes is one injury, one broken leg or one bad infection for a wild animal like a coyote and their, their life might just be over. Doesn't matter right. how old they are. Uh, We've seen a, a few three-legged coyotes oh, running I've around seen, I've seen and doing fine. <laughs> well, no, somebody shot one the other day, a hunter, the coyote hunter I know, actually it might have been John Collins, I can't remember, somebody that, I, one of them had a half jaw. Did you see that coyote mm, he took that had mm -mm. a half jaw? It was very strange, but anyway, it's different. Like you think about, you might have a dog, which obviously isn't a coyote, but in the wild, that dog probably wouldn't live no, here right. as long just because, I mean, heck, my dog's probably done two or three dumb things that would get himself killed out there in the wild if he lived out there, so. Mm -hmm. um, what else, you brought so much material in, Laura, I feel bad not seeing what else you got over there, because that stuff about the deer was interesting and, mm -hmm. Well, I wasn't sure what we were gonna talk about today. We just so come in here and I talk, we really notes. don't have a plan. <laughs> Do you have um, a plan when you come in here, Lee? Well, Do I have a loose some loose notes to go jump off of, but other than that. What kind of notes do you have that we haven't touched on? Um, well, one is, um, how many chubacabras are there in Central <laughs> Kentucky? <laughs> I think, yeah, you know what? Somebody did, I did see a picture of a, of a bald raccoon, a hairless raccoon. Mm -hmm. Day. And that thing looked like, I mean, those things well, are the ugliest You showed animals. me a picture, I believe it was a red fox with mange. Yeah. Right. And you said that that's usually the, the chubacabra. Or a coyote uh, with mange. With a generator, right. is, a, is mm -hmm. a fur bear with mange. Right. Correct. And that's a mite that burrows under their so skin. So dogs get mange too. You don't see it yes, as much they, as you see. Yes, they can. But. I mean, if it a, a raccoon or a coyote or fox there, I mean, normally decent looking animals, but with mm -hmm. mange, they are just hideous demon right. creatures. Mm-hmm. You know? So I think that generates all of this chubacabra stuff, don't you think? I think so, I think so. Um, and my neighborhood has a lot of raccoons. I don't have any problems with them, but I've had some neighbors have. I mean, they've taken pictures and show me with uh, them on their roof and stuff like that. Um, how do you deal with raccoons? Well, uh, it's probably garbage and pet food related. So the reason right. they're there. So, the, so right, and the information we talked about. I had one under my house. I had to trap. Right. And uh, so, really, the the information that we talked about with coyotes earlier, as far as keeping food sources away and all that, really applies to any wildlife, raccoons, bears, etc. Um, and and we do have a list of nuisance wildlife control operators mm -hmm. on our website, if. Uh, you know, if you just can't deter a raccoon or coyote from around your neighborhood, and if you're taking all the precautions you can, and it just is still a problem, uh, those folks are permitted by the department. They're available for hire to come and remove the animal. We have a lot. Frankfurt has a lot, I guess, from the river. Is there a list on the uh, website? There is. Yes, there is. Okay, cool. There's there a lot is. of resources on the website. It's kind of hard to find sometimes. Mm -hmm. What else you got, Lee? Give me more. Um, <clears throat> oh, you've been talking about coyotes in urban areas. Um, <clears throat> you know, uh, you've probably already covered this, but um, people don't need to completely freak out if they see a coyote in an urban area, as long as it's not causing problems. Leaving right. it alone is probably the best thing, correct? That's right. Uh, no need to panic. Uh, if you see a coyote at a distance, you know, it's probably just doing its own thing. Just, you know, I'm, I'm near the information center and we get a lot of calls about coyotes. Right. Tell them, give them my number, Lee. Okay. Send them my number. <laughs> I do get a lot of personal phone calls about coyotes in neighborhoods. 
Um, people who live in Louisville and they'll, somebody will just through Facebook or through some mutual friends, they'll know that I do a lot of coyote hunting and they'll send me a message and picture of a coyote and, you know, under the street lights mm -hmm. out there in their neighborhood and they'll ask me if I can come hunt it and I'm kind of like, well, you know, I wish I could, but you live in a neighborhood within city limits and I saw one from Northern Kentucky in a new subdivision and they were. Yeah. As fun as bow hunting them sounds, I'm probably going to hold off. Right. And the important thing is just to keep that fear that they have of humans, just keep it instilled. Yeah. Um, if you see one and it's, you know, a little bit close, just shout, wave your arms, clap. And don't feel sorry like and feed them, correct? Yeah. And do not feed them. How would you ever feed a guy? Well, people, they see a wild animal and they oh, I don't want it to die. So then they'll feed it and it becomes a nuisance. I mean. Yeah, that's what happens with the bears. Talk to John Hast, he'll tell you all. Oh, mm -hmm. Actually, Hast works with you, right? He yes, is also he does. on fur bears, correct? He is over the pro. He's a supervisor over the fur bear pig permit bear program. Bear program. And what what for the people out there? What is a sighty? Uh, Lee, you know that we don't use that microphone. Oh, uh, <laughs> he keeps talking. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> happening. What is a sighty? Sighty stands for the Convention on International Trade of Endangered Flora and Fauna, and so. Uh, what is that's this? A What's this acronym again? I'm sorry. Cites. It's, it looks like cities. Correct. C-I-T-I-E-S? C-I-T-E-S. C-I-T-E-S, yeah. Convention, on, interna Convention yeah. on International we Trade of, of Endangered Species. We get a lot of calls. I need to get a CITES tag for when people take bobcats. Right, and that's correct? a federal tag, right. That is required if a bobcat or otter is being sold or exported out of the country. Okay. And so... Um, that's the other thing. That doesn't affect asked. a lot of people then. No. Right. But, but it, but mostly you, fur I'm trappers. I'm surprised how many, how many calls we get about Right. Mostly fur trappers who are selling hides. Uh, to fur auctions and fur houses, and then in those fur houses, in turn, are going to export them to China and Russia and Japan. So I feel like Canada is one of the main places that a lot of our furs go, right? They do. Um, the North American Fur Auction actually is in limbo and refinancing, having some issues, uh, but there is another... Um, what, what are current prices? Current prices are pretty dismal, That's actually. That's right? <laughs> right. Um, so very low right now. Back in... Like, what would you two? get for a coyote bill? Good oh, one. probably maybe, well, coyotes were actually up last year, maybe $25. I know it does. Um, and there was a couple reports of people getting 50 or 60. Wow. Um, and that was because the, the, the high quality coyotes are taken out west, hmm. but um, those had, you know, the market had used all those and so coats? they were shifting to east they're they're used for mainly for trim on fur coats okay there was a so conrad i mentioned him earlier he caught a jet black coyote this year and um, asked him what he thought he'd get for it and he said he was going to try to sell that one directly to a taxidermist who right. would use it for a, a show mount or something and he was expecting to get 100 to 150 right for it. Wow. right Just and some people do that with bobcats what as about well a raccoon? do they have any price now or i mean or a beaver Beaver, maybe five, ten dollars. Not, not good at all. But yep. you know, back in 2013, 12, 13, 14, they were otters and bobcats were averaging um, hundred dollars a piece wow. in Kentucky. What about meat? So kind of the same, maybe five, ten. Currently, oh, wow. hundred bucks would be. But pretty yeah, good. and mm -hmm. raccoons were about twenty-five each. So we'll hope that maybe the market will increase again. I've seen a lot of meat. I don't I haven't seen as many in the past few years as I did. Floating the creek. I've seen right. them. Right. I've had them swim right beside me while I'm waiting. It's cool. I the way I understand it, the people who are out there trapping right now are not doing it for the money. Yeah. Because right. there's a lot of recreational you yeah. know, trappers who have yeah. trapped for years and 
that's what they like to do. Some of the supplies are pretty expensive. I mean, traps aren't cheap, and then if you're getting into the footholds, you have, you know, waxes and scents and stakes, and there's a lot, of, a lot that goes into it. I feel like a lot of people do it to pay for it. They, mm-hmm. they do it and sell the hides to pay for their, their ability their, to do their it. Enjoyment, yeah. yeah. Right. It's yeah. a challenge. Yeah. It's fun. Do foxes get any money? Foxes, traditionally, in, in a good market, may get $30, $40. You better be mm-hmm. good at, at skinning and stretching. to Because, I mean, for me, it would take so much time for me just to do it properly. You need to, to come get to any first money? school. I do need to come it's to first not, school. If it's done poorly, then you don't get anything. Correct. Right, but it's you know it's easy to learn. I'll come to Sticks first practice. school next year. It's usually what what time of year is it? Usually in October. October. If I don't reach out to you, you reach out to me next okay. year. Have you played any practical jokes with the different lure scents? Oh, I'm sure I have. I cleared out the building with a <laughs> I skunk that. essence on but, commission meeting day once. <laughs> but that was accident. Correct? That was accident. But yeah, I remember that. I mean, it the whole building reeked like skunk. <laughs> on commission meeting day. Yeah, so commission <laughs> meeting day. You could have fun with that, you know. Let's, I mean. let's go through a few questions. <laughs> uh, can you hunt coyotes slash bobcats on public land in Kentucky? That's Ben Marshall wants to know. Can you hunt coyotes and bobcats on public land? Yes. And yes. I've done it before. You can't on all public land, though, can you? Right. Uh, if you check online on our wildlife management areas uh, and outdoor recreation areas, they may have specific seasons for fur bearers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most uh, generally, you can hunt them according to statewide seasons and regulations. Yeah, I know, like uh, Miller Welch in Richmond, you couldn't hunt coyotes on when I went to school at EKU. Yeah, um, I spent a lot of time out there because that one was primarily used for dog training. Um, so they wanted, but on Taylorsville, I think you can. So it's really, it'd be. Is that right? Is that wrong? I'd have to check. I'd have to check too. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> check that the website. First Great. encounter with a pin raised quail. My brother and I were out there fishing. I was like, why won't these quail fly away from us? We took our fishing poles and like, you know, poked at them and like tickled their booty and everything. And they wouldn't fly. I was like, God, they must be sick. And I just, (laughs) at the time I didn't know, you know, but they were pin pin raised Because there's always people working their dogs. People on horseback working their dogs, people walking. And and, uh, I guess they put the pin raised birds just to teach them to, that's the first time I ever encountered them. I was like, I'm sure the, that night, Mr. Fox, Mr. Coyote said, hmm. Yeah, or owl or hawk yeah, or anybody yeah, yeah. really. There's a lot of owls out there in Central yeah. Kentucky. Matt Gridley, um, what's your favorite sequence for calling? I told him, I said, it just depends on the time of year and the situation because it's completely different. Uh, this time of year, mating season's coming up. Vocals tend to work really well. It's also cold, so easy meals are appreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll... I'll I always start off with a with a vocal, a howl of some type, just to get their attention. Sometimes I'll tell you where they're at, and it kind of makes them feel more comfortable coming into the call. And then I like to go into old trusty rabbit of some sort, and there's a million different types of rabbit sounds you can use out there, and I switch it up um, every so often. Usually maybe go for two and a half minutes or three minutes on, then take half a minute or a minute off and go back into it for coyotes. And then after about 20 minutes, if you haven't seen anything, chances are you probably aren't because they're either going to come in for the easy meal or they're not. So the last ditch effort is always a, a pup distress or a coyote distress call because, like you said, they're kind of pack mentality, social animals, and a lot of times they'll come running in to that to that sound. But I would say the most productive single sound out there is that coyote distress sound, and usually it comes after a shot. It's either if I have a sequence and I didn't see anything and I run that coyote distress, all of a sudden one shows up. But a lot of times, if you do have one come in, shoot, 
and then you switch over to that coyote distress sound, all of a sudden another one is coming running in, or a, a third one's coming running in there. It's a, that, I'd say I probably take more coyotes using a coyote distress sound than any other sound. But like I said earlier, I think the wind's the most important thing. Well, I think that, that might be all the questions I'm going to get to. Um, do you, have, do you get any questions commonly? Or you get a lot of, like a, the most frequent question you get that we could just answer and maybe somebody out there will find it useful? Usually it's just related to coyote sightings. Coyote um, sightings. And they're just, you know, wondering yeah. if they need to be concerned or not. So yeah. we kind of go through, we do have this information on the website related to mm -hmm. what to do if you encounter a coyote. Is that from the piece in the magazine? Yes. Uh, what should you do if a coyote approaches you and then tips to avoid problems with coyote or conflicts as far as keeping them away from your home. So when you eat pork chops, dispose of the bones right. in the garbage. Don't throw them in your backyard. Not throw them in the backyard. For and if you have a coyote problem in a rural area, feel free to shoot me a message if you own the property <laughs> or if hunting rights for the property. You know, I'll, uh, no, I do like coyote hunting. Anything else you guys want to get out of there? We've been going plenty long enough. Yeah, we have. Around, so. Good well, I'm glad you came on, Laura. See, it, was it that thank bad? You for, thank you for having me. I mean, I would rather skin a bloated coyote that sat in the sun for two weeks, but this was... <laughs> <laughs> That's really insulting. This, nothing to do with your work. You guys do great work. Okay, well, thank you. Well, we, it wasn't so bad. No, well, thank good you. deal. Thanks for coming on.